Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in and joining us once again. We really appreciate everything that you're doing for us in the sense of listening to these episodes and sharing it with people. It, it warms our hearts uh, and we just keep the following, our following keeps growing and we appreciate that. And we just hope it's helping you as you move forward through your own life and your own grief, uh, if that's something you've experienced. So if you're new to this podcast, uh, my name is Joshua Black, and I'm the one that's doing the Grief Dreams research at Brock University for my PhD. And exciting news, I know I've shared in the podcast before, but every time I, I think about it, I get excited. Uh, I should be done. I'm seeing the finish line. I should be done uh, this year, November, December, actually to defend. So it's uh, just super exciting times for me, writing up a dissertation and everything. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see, you know, like what's it, what life brings me and brings the platform um, as we move forward and a new research that uh, hopefully all this stuff uh, spawns as uh, as we move forward in in time. So today, uh, we don't have anyone else. So you're left with me. Uh, so here we are. It's me and you, and we have a special guest. So I'm actually really excited to talk with Dallas today, um, just because I met her when I went to British Columbia. Probably it was in January. I remember telling you guys about you know promoting that that talk and workshop I was doing down there. So it, it's amazing, but doing these workshops that you get to meet you know amazing people. So this is one person I met, and we just sort of clicked. And she had an amazing um, career, and she's doing amazing things. So I wanted to get her on so she can uh, talk about some more of that with us. And so today we have Dallas Shirley. Dallas is a registered clinical counselor who provides children's counseling and family counseling for nonprofit organizations. After finishing her master's degree in counseling psychology, she completed training in grief and loss. She also obtained a certificate in expressive play therapy. She currently works as a children's services manager at Abbotsford Hospice Society and a grief specialist for the Abbotsford School District. Dallas is also the author of a book series called Woodland Wisdom Books, which are guides for parents, caregivers, educators, counselors, and other adults who help support children dealing with difficult issues. So welcome, Dallas, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's amazing. And so the last time we uh, we, we talked was face-to-face, -face, but then we were in communicating uh, through email. And I know uh, you're saying that you... You learned some stuff from the uh, the workshop, which was really nice to hear. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I'll be talking about that today. Amazing, amazing. I can't wait to hear it. And so the first things first, we always like on the podcast is to just to get to know our guests a little bit and like their journey. So what actually propelled you to want to go and be a clinical counselor and do your MA? Uh, was it something that you learned in sort of university just by like taking psychology or was it something that you knew from a younger age? From an early age, I felt that I accepted death as a very natural part of life. It didn't seem to faze me too much. And then when I started out in college, I took an introductory psychology course and that really spurred my interest in counseling. And I figured there probably wasn't a lot of people like me that were as comfortable dealing with the topic of death. And so I thought, what about grief counseling? Now, when I talked about this to other people, I got a lot of warnings that this would be too hard and so sad. And so I decided before investing all this time and money into an education that I would decide to volunteer uh, in this field. And so I decided why not do it in one of the harder parts of grief, which was a children's hospice. So I spent 10 years there and did about a thousand hours. And after that, I was very sure that this was the path I wanted to be on. So then I went and got my master's in counseling and a certificate in expressive play therapy and the bereavement training, like you said. And now I've had the opportunity of working for a couple of different hospice organizations. And I really, really love my work. You know, it's, it's amazing when you can find a job that you're passionate about it's, it's, you know, my goal in life to be able to do something like that. And not everyone gets a chance to do something like that. So it's nice that along the way you found a job that really speaks to you and allows you to, you know, use your skills to the best ability to help, help people move through uh, their own journeys that they go through. 
Yeah, I feel very lucky and quite honored to be able to share in others' journeys as well through grief and through other aspects of their life that have been difficult. And so you, you mentioned how at an early age you knew, was there like an event that occurred? Did you have someone that, uh, that died to allow you to see that you're comfortable with grief? Like how did that come about? Well, it wasn't until I was a teen. So it wasn't when I was very young. Um, but when I was a teen, my grandma had died. And I remember being at her funeral. And I remember that everybody else was quite, quite upset, um, quite taken back. And I remember being there in more of a supportive role. I, I remember not being as upset about it, although I was upset that she was gone. I was very much accepting that death is a very natural part of life. And so I thought, hmm, maybe this is a way that I could help support people. And so what was that like? Because you said you, you had that feeling, but the people around you at that time probably didn't. So what was it? Is it was it weird for you in that situation or were you just helping others the best way you could? Yeah, I, I mean, as much as a teen could be helpful at the time, of course, I didn't have all the skills that I have now. Um, and I've learned a lot through my training. So now I can be much more helpful. Um, but just being able to accept it, I think, was a big part of my journey and being able to help others. That's interesting. And since we talked about loss a little bit, as you moved forward uh, with, with, I'm guessing, you had other types of death that have occurred in your life, did you still have that same sort of attitude that's a natural part and it doesn't really stir up great emotion? Or if it does, you're able to cope um, and, and work through that really easy? I would say that some of the deaths that have happened that I've, I've known to expect that were coming, like grandma and my grandpa and my nana, those ones were a lot easier to process because they had lived full lives and had grandchildren. But the ones that were probably the hardest to get through were the sudden death, the accidental death, close friends that have died that I wasn't seeing coming. And those were for sure harder to manage. But because of what I've learned, it's been a lot easier to cope with. Mm, that's nice. That's, uh, it's good. I'm glad. And I'm glad you have that skill set and you developed that even further. Um, but that's interesting. interesting how you sort of say how someone dies can play a role in what feelings come about. And so you work with children a lot. Do you, do you see that with children, how people die affects sort of how they process their grief? If it was sudden versus more, I could say, um, like a longer process of watching someone die? Absolutely. Although both are just as sad, and especially in the children's hospice, it was sad whether or not it was an accidental death or whether it was one to be expected because we don't expect children to die. Um, we think that you're supposed to live until you have grandchildren before you die. And so those were definitely harder to deal with for lots of people. But I think what I like the best about working with kids sometimes is that we get to do grief groups. And so often some of these kids might be the only ones in their class at school that have dealt with a loss, especially some that have had a sibling loss or a parent loss. There's lots of children who have experienced grandparent loss, but not as many of the younger generations. And so to have them all sit in a room and talk about their loss and just say who they're there remembering can be quite powerful to know that they're not alone. Yeah, that's what you know. I've learned along the way about grief groups and how powerful they can be to normalize the loss. I'm glad that works with children too. When it comes yeah. to, since you mentioned uh, the sibling and the parent loss, is it hard when a child loses someone like their own age or younger versus someone older? Because, like, is it harder harder for them to process that that loss? I would say yes, and the reason is because it brings their own mortality into question. It makes them question anybody could die. Maybe my sibling could die. Maybe my parent could die. Maybe my friend could die when somebody so much younger dies because it makes more sense when older people die. We know that they're going to die. That's part of the natural evolution of life. But when it happens to somebody so much younger, it can create a lot of anxiety when parents need to then go to work, let's say, after another parent has died. Well, just that separation can create a lot of anxiety for them. And so what are the, the common issues that you, know, you, you see when it comes to people grieving, either a, the death of someone or just a, you know, either a divorce or something? Um, what are the common issues that you see from the children? I would say 
that what comes up the most from caregivers and from teachers is an experience of what it looks like when children are grieving, which tend to come out as behaviors. So there can be some frustrations that I hear about when kids are having what we might call a temper tantrum, or maybe they're kicking their sibling, or maybe they're acting out in school, and that could be just really a manifestation of what they're going through. That could be them showing their grief, but they might not have the skills or the language yet that we might have to be able to express what we're going through. Sometimes adults don't have the recognition of their own feelings either, right? And I think it's it's just one of those things we don't really teach people in schools about how to recognize your emotions and your feelings, how to process and cope in an effective way. So you have people that have been trained along the way a certain way, like they're the parents, and then now they have children and they just it's it's hard, I think, for them to to notice the signs. So you work with the children, but I'm guessing do you work with the parents also? A little bit. I, I am very happy that I'm getting to work with the Abbotsford School District now because I'm getting to help train the wisdom counselors and um, provide some help with them. But also, I sometimes get to work with parents just in the intake session, at least just to give them some skills and give them some tips on how they can help best support their children or the children that they're helping to support. Hmm. That's nice. And what, what kind of tips would you give them when they, so they come see you? Uh, what kind of tips can you uh, provide them? Number one would be to not be judgmental of feelings, to allow children to express feelings and to try to become comfortable with even the uncomfortable feelings. So I've often heard people say things like, and I know when I was younger or other people have expressed to me too, that you might have been told, to go to your room and come back when you have a different attitude or when you've changed your mood or when you might be happier. And so there wasn't a lot of emotional intelligence back then. And I think we're starting to get a little bit more now, but just allowing children the opportunity to cry if they want to, or if they're upset and angry, instead of stifling that to say, how can we express this in a different way, in a healthy way? Yeah, it's uh, crying's tough, and like showing showing vulnerability to people. It's you know, as an adult, like even for me, it, it's still I see it. You know, like even when it comes up, I'm still saying like, like, what's the environment? Is anyone going to make fun of me? But you, know, you have to be strong enough to be able to express those feelings and work through them. And so it's nice that you're you're coaching about that with the parents to try to provide a safer space in in the home. Do you? I know when I was like when I do certain talks and and talk to children. Do you think that they hide some of their emotions just because they won't, don't want to make their parents feel sad? Because the parent probably lost someone too, if it, was, if it was like a spouse or the mother or something like that. So do you see children also uh, hiding emotions to sort of um, help their parents? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've Sometimes parents, of course, because they don't know me and I'm just another person that's now saying, come and, and let me see your child one-to-one. <laughs> and so that can be overwhelming sometimes. And so at first they might not be as comfortable with that. And so I always say it's, it's up to the child and, and if they want you in the room and however their level of comfortability is, and then also up to the parent and the caregiver as well. So if they want to be in the room, I am totally fine with that. But what I do caution them about is that children will often try to hide some of their feelings because they don't want to upset their loved one. Mm. So they'll want to protect their caregiver. And so they won't want to show sadness in front of them because they're, they fear that perhaps that might trigger them to be upset as well. So do you, do you recommend parents uh, or caregivers to show emotion in front of their children so the children know it's safe? Or like how, how would you go about coaching uh, the, the caregivers to maybe break that a little bit and provide a safer space for the child to share? Yeah, during my intake session, actually, one of the questions, and that would be the first session um, with just me and the caregivers, that I would ask the question, what kind of supports do you have? Have you reached out for your own supports? And typically the answer is, well, I might have some friends or some family, but I don't like to talk about this that, that much. And so what I let them know is that they are the models for how to express feelings. So I only get to see the kids maybe once biweekly for, for maybe an hour. 
And so I'm not going to really have that big of an impact on them. But the parents or the caregivers, they get to see them for so much more time and they get to model how to express their feelings in a healthy way. And so the more they can cry in a healthy way, show anger in a healthy way, then that way the child will learn how to express their feelings in a healthy way. And so hopefully that will then be modeled to them. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too, right? That's really all you can do. And so you said you you see them every every so often. Is there a reason for that? Like, is there, because some places have like wait lists and stuff, like when it comes to children, is it, can anyone just go in and get the services? Like, is there a wait list or anything? Um, like, what's that process like for uh, children and their parents to try to help the children uh, getting help? Well, that's actually why I started to write the books that I was, that I'm writing is because not a ton of money is put necessarily into prevention. And so there's often not a ton of children's counselors out there that provide free services for children. And so there does become waitlist at some places. And one place that I actually worked, there was a waitlist of close to about 150 kids when I left. And I had 60 kids on my, wait, on my caseload at the time. So it was over a two-year wait. That's not always the case everywhere. Some places don't have wait lists, but that is the case in some organizations that I've worked in. So that's really why I wanted to start to create these books so that way I could give some skills to the caregivers so while they were waiting, they had something to go on and they had something to help their children with. Yeah, that breaks my heart to like, to just even think about, you know, people are going unsupported in their journey. You know, it's just... They said like in that one organization with one town, um, just because I'm guessing financial obligations to other things, you only can provide so much help. And that's sad because two years, like you're just thinking about that. Two years is, you know, a lot changes and a lot of, you know, habits form and they could form for the rest of their life because of that. It just makes it so much more difficult to work through those behaviors and emotions because that just spurs on more difficulties in other areas of their life from friends and family to, you know, school life. So yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. And hopefully, you know, like people understand that I'm guessing a lot of these programs, um, they're not fully funded by the government and they need donations. Is that true for, uh, for your organization? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the organization I'm working with right now at Abbotsford Hospice, they do rely on the, the fundraising events and from kind donations of the community because we're not government funded. And so it really does break your heart sometimes when you get these calls from caregivers, not necessarily at Abbotsford Hospice, because there I do have a manageable weight. But at the other organization that I worked with, you get these calls and you'd say, it might be a couple years until I can see you and I'm so sorry and and just to hear the sadness on the other end of the line and that's why I really wanted to give these skills that I've learned to others because it's not rocket science what I've learned it's it's pretty common skills and so I just wanted to put it on paper um, to help people be able to help support children so I was thinking about caregivers or teachers or maybe other counselors who might not have been trained in helping children specifically or just any other adults that help support children as well. That's amazing. And it's amazing you wrote, you, you found, you saw that and, and you felt that, you know, you felt for them. Uh, because yeah, like I can only imagine, like, and then for someone to say yes to go on a wait list for two years is even like more sad. Like it, it, it hits me even more because that's their only option. You know, like they can't go anywhere. Like this is the only service that they can maybe afford. And and so they'll, they're willing to wait two years for that. So it's just, yeah, it definitely breaks my heart. And so could you go through sort of the book and how you formatted it and maybe some of the tips that are in there for parents? Sure. Yeah, I'm actually quite shocked I created the book in the first place because I do have some learning disabilities and a reading disability, a disorder of written expression as well. So school was quite hard for me, so I never could imagine um, writing a book. Um, but I thought this might be the easiest way for to get these resources out there to other adults that are helping support children. And then I also had to learn really quickly how to paint um, because I wasn't planning on doing the illustrations, but that's how it worked out. And so me and my sister actually do that together. She draws out the animals and some of the scenery, and then I printed out 
on cardstock paper and I do the paintings and then we super glue her images onto it as well. And then I paint those to blend it all in. So it's been a fun process to do with her. But how the books look is at inside is that there is about four to five pages of tips at the beginning, just general tips that I would give to any caregiver. So one of them would be to not be judgmental. Another one would be to maybe not give silver linings. That's often something that comes up a lot in grief. People might say things to try to lessen your pain. So they might say things like, well, they're in a better place now, or at least they don't have to feel pain anymore, things like that. And it can be very kind and well thought to do that, but it can actually teach somebody or tell somebody that their pain might not be as important or perhaps it should be lessened because at least they're not in pain anymore. And so it can be hurtful to hear that. Talking about that, I've, I've also heard too that children sometimes don't fully understand death and it can confuse them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so that's why, that's another reason why I wanted to write these books. Well, the first one, the first volume is about death, grief, and loss because I found that it was hard to find a lot of books that used the words dead and died and dying. A lot of the books talked about um, the, the animal perhaps going away or maybe they're no longer there things like that. And that can create some anxiety as well, because then if their caregiver goes away to work or goes away on a vacation or something like that, they might believe them to not come home because that's the same language they've been taught in terms of grief and loss. So that's why I wanted to make it very concrete. It's amazing. No, I'm glad you're, 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 you're trying to find a way to educate parents because it's, it's one of those things you wish were taught in school, you know, like just a course on you know, what children understand, you know, I said, you don't need to go to university to understand some of the stuff. You, we could learn it in high school um, because many people in high school are going to, you know, go out and have kids. And a lot of kids are going to suffer loss from pets to parents to all sorts of stuff. And so it'd be nice for people to actually know this information. So hopefully one day, you know, like uh, the school system can, can grow a little bit and, and talk more about, you know, the self-awareness and, and how to work with emotions of, of children um, but until then, you know, you have these books. So um, what are this, what's the story about? So you have these like very informative, uh, the first part is very informative. Uh, then you have the story. So can you talk about the story? Sure. So the story goes into Woodland Woods. That's where all the stories take place. And all the characters are actually people that have made some kind of an impact on my life. They're, they're named after those people. And so it goes through kind of their tales of triumphs and struggles and things that they've gone through. And then at the very back of the book, there are some exercises that I use sometimes with kids to help them process some of these feelings as well. So the first book is about death, grief, and loss. And the second book is about feelings and how they affect our bodies. Because I often have kids talk to me about how they might have a stomach ache or a headache, and they think that they're coming down with a cold or a flu. And so just to acknowledge that that could be anxiety, or it could be other kind of worries that they're going through. And that's why it's affecting their body in that way. And then the third book that should be out in June or July will be about the difference between abuse and anger. So what's the, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that, one, we can express in a healthy way, which is anger. We, there are many, many ways that we can express it in a healthy way that won't hurt others. Um, but with anger, hopefully the rules are that we won't hurt ourselves that we won't hurt others, and that we won't hurt things. Those are the main ones that we want to stay away from. So it's just teaching children the difference between the two. Because some, well, one of the places that I did work that did have the big long wait list was one that dealt with a lot of topics of abuse. And so I really wanted to help children learn about what is abuse and what should not be tolerated in relationships as well. Yeah, because anger, it's, it's interesting because you even just look at, you know, the role models in our society on TV, when someone's angry, it's usually tied to an abuse of some way, like an external abuse following it, you know, like they're angry and then they abuse something or they hit something. And you're trying to separate that, it seems to say it's okay to have anger, but, you know, it's the actions that you have to watch out for. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's not okay to call names or it's not okay to put people down. It's not okay to be physically abusive, 
but also not verbally abusive as well. And so that's what I'm hoping to get across in this book. That's great. And, you know, I said, like, I, I'm happy you wrote those books and seeing it all, you know, are you proud of the work you've, you've done so far, like realizing your disability and, and not even thinking in a million years, you're going to do something like that. Are you proud of the product that you, you wrote? Yes, I, I'm, I'm quite shocked that I did. And so I think that's a surprise and, and pride for me just to get over some fears, I think, that I had in the first place. But like you said about the school system, actually, if we could go back to that, um, one of the coolest trainings that I've gotten to do was training teens on how to help support children in their grief. And so that was a really neat thing that I got to do. And I'm hoping that the more and more I get to work with the school district, that hopefully this kind of training or, or these books might get out into teachers' hands or into school counselors' hands. And so that way they can help children on a much larger scale than I could. Yeah, here's hoping, right? Like, so, hey, you just do your work and see sort of how it, how it impacts people. And I think that's the interesting thing about doing like the work that you're doing and the work a lot of other people are doing when it comes to helping others is the ripple effects that you'll never may never know um, in your lifetime. And so it's, yeah, you just do the best you can. And you just, you know, I said like you have a positive outlook on what can happen because of it. So yeah, if uh, listeners have or want to learn more about the children's grief stuff, you know, you can check out her, her books um, that are out there. Where, where can they find your books? Uh, they can go on to my website, which is www.woodlandwisdombooks.com. And on there, there's a link to my Facebook, uh, which would be under Woodland Wisdom Books as well. And my Instagram, which is Dallas Shirley. So can you find them on Amazon too? Yes. So on the website, on my website, there's a bunch of links uh, to all the different places you can buy it. You can get it on Amazon.com or .ca on Indigo Chapters, uh, Kindle, and uh, Freezing Press as well. Amazing, amazing. And so, yeah, hopefully, if said like the, uh, hopefully this podcast can um, help you out a little bit with that and and getting the hands in some people. I know it's always difficult um, raising awareness on your book um, because unless you said like you're a big star or something, marketing is a difficult thing, and especially you're just doing your talks and you know you're giving them you know helping people one at a time. Um, so hopefully this podcast can uh, help help that a little bit and get some more eyes on what you're doing. And so I'm actually, I want to go back because uh, you mentioned in the bio that you do play therapy a lot. And I'm really curious with that because I've never been trained in that. I've heard about it um, from here and there. Can you talk about what play therapy is and how it's beneficial for children and maybe adults? Yeah, for sure. So Play therapy is a way for us to express ourselves, but not necessarily through words. As I know that a lot of children are actually worried when they first hear that they might be coming to a counselor because they think that they have to sit across them and talk and, and be looking at them the whole time. And that's nerve-wracking. That's nerve-wracking for even us adults to have to come over our anxiety and talk to somebody about how we feel, especially a stranger. And so... What I do instead is we do expressive play therapy and arts. And so the children can choose whatever they'd like to do when they're there. And this is when we do one-to-one -one work. And I have an office full of fun things, lots of art and crafts. And then also like hundreds and hundreds of figurines where the kids can choose all these different figurines that might be people or scenery or vehicles or animals and then they make stories in the sand to represent how they're feeling and so i often don't give a lot of instruction on how to do this but i find that when the kids do it that organically it just comes out on what they're going through so to give you a bit of an example when i've done sand tray before i had a child this is one of the first children that i'd worked with and they had made a story and it was always the same story about these two swords that were being fought over by two different armies. And I knew that this child was going through a divorce and had a sibling as well. And they were feeling kind of pulled apart in two different directions. And so it was very much a representation of what this child was going through. But instead of talking directly about what this child was going through, instead we talked about what the swords were going through. And that, I think, was healing it just in a different way. 
That's super cool. I like that. It's uh, it's very interesting how children process it, and then said so they're they're making situations that represent them, their lives without really telling you. It's like you got to be self aware to know that, that there's meaning behind this interaction. Yeah, and also what I do is I try to just ask open ended questions about their art and about their play, and find that they're wanting to talk about what they're going through. Um, just in a different way. So I had a child that was less than five in the room and they were painting and it just looked like blobs of paint. And I had asked, what is this? And they said, well, this is heaven. And I was like, huh. And they told me who was in heaven and who was all there and, and what they were doing. They told me uh, what the sky looked like and they told me all the fun things that were there. And that was just by me asking, what's this? And what does that color mean? And this all just came out of them. Hmm. That's interesting. It's so, so simple, right? Just asking yeah. questions on what they're doing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so do you, can you use these techniques with adults also, or is it just made for children? I would definitely say you can use them with adults. I personally love to express myself this way. So it comes, it comes naturally to me to be able to paint or do things, not necessarily painting skills don't come naturally to me, but, but just getting to express myself in this way. And so I did a lot of that during my training, and I felt that quite helpful to me. Um, but recently, I had given my grief curriculum to somebody, and they had said, what age group is this for? Because it looks like it could be for quite younger, but I see here that you use it from 6 to 12-year-olds. And I actually said, well, actually, I use this with adults because when I do my training and workshops, I get the adults to participate in an experiential way as well. And they find it quite healing, too. So I think sometimes we all just need a bit of an excuse to play and be kids again and express ourselves in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's so true. You know, like we uh, from time to time, we talk about playing and being childlike and we get we become so serious um, as as adults because all the responsibilities and stuff that are that are put on our shoulders and uh, the stresses and anxieties that we carry and how we look at the world. But yeah, there's something beautiful about how children play and um, the creative ways they engage the world. And a lot of times, it's very optimistic and very hopeful and fun. And it's just really like bringing fun back in. And even if you're not, you say like dealing with grief, I think it'd be still great to just have you know these arts doing these creative activities just because in, in your own life you're probably you might not be grieving over you know the death of something but maybe you're having a hard time um in work or a relationship or something and you may be able to do some of these activities just as a way to to cope or effectively cope because i know they have these like coloring books now i think it's more mindfulness but you're still coloring which i kind of like that's something we got away from as adults actually using crayons and and all that sort of stuff yeah definitely I love finding different ways to be able to cope in expressive ways as well. Do you, do you dance? Is dance one of them? Because a lot of people like to dance. Yeah, so that's actually one that we use in our grief group curriculum. And that's especially what I like to do after an activity that we've done that's been quite emotional. Mm. So if we do one where perhaps we're sharing pictures of our loved ones or talking about memories of our loved ones or maybe even making our grief dreams drawings, that we'll do a just dance or something like that afterwards where we put up a video of people dancing and we all kind of get into it. So that way we can get some of those feelings out in a healthy way. That's cool. I like that. And it's like, it, it shakes up the energy inside you. Right. And, and dancing, it's fun. And even if you can't do it, it's still fun. <laughs> you've got to move, you've got to move and shake a little bit. Right. <laughs> hmm. And so you mentioned you work with uh, the, the grief dream stuff and the worksheet. And so do you hear about uh, these grief dreams a lot? I know you came to the workshop and, you know, definitely appreciative that you came uh, to that. Uh, do you, did you come because you're hearing grief dreams uh, from children? No, I came because I wanted to learn more about the subject because myself, I don't dream a lot. And so I wanted to know, or at least I don't recall the dreams, I should say. Um, so I wanted to know kind of what the importance was of this and how maybe I could help people with it because it's not something that I explored a lot. 
But then after I'd gone through this training, perhaps it was that I was looking out for it more. Perhaps I was asking about it. I'm not sure. But now I've had lots of children talk to me about actually their grief nightmares. Wow, that's that's so interesting how just raising awareness, you start seeing it more often. You know, it's not like I invented it. It's, you know, like it was always been out there. It's just realizing that it's something that maybe is, is important. And I think it's great that they're um, expressing about the nightmares and they're probably having actually positive dreams too from, you know, some of the research I've been reading about, but they probably are only sharing the negative ones because they're, they're like, they're discomforting. Right. Um, but I bet you, if you start asking about any dreams, they'll probably start sharing some of the positive ones they're having. Yes, and I think that sometimes children bring things to me a bit more about things that they're struggling with because they know that it's a safe place to talk about that. In their regular life, it's okay to talk about anything that's happy. Mm. Um, They can talk about that with anybody. But when it comes to the more distressing parts, it might be something that they reserve for more safer places that they feel comfortable talking about that without upsetting anybody. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, so you're you're more likely to get those nightmares being uh, being talked about. That's wild. So, do you have um, any examples of uh, a child's nightmare that you could share? Yes, I can. Um, so, there's actually a child I worked with not too long ago, um, where one of their loved ones had died in a hospital, and for every night for an entire year, they had a nightmare where they would wake up or they would wake up during it, but they would walk up to their loved one's hospital bed and their loved one would start to scream. And then they would start to scream. And then all of a sudden the dream would end. And so quite startling for this child to have to feel and and experience this every single night. And so what we did, because I had just been to your workshop, so I had had this fresh in my mind. And so I asked if we could change the dream. So what we changed it into or what, what this child changed it into is that all of a sudden they were now still in the hospital, but they were watching their favorite movie together. They were telling jokes together. They were enjoying their favorite snacks together. And also their loved one had a nice comforter that they had had at home instead of the hospital bedding that was there. And they also had some nice pleasant sounds in the background that this child really enjoyed. And then also I used your grief dream builder exercise sheet and got them to create what their ideal grief dream would be. So this dream was quite vivid and I don't think I'll ever forget it because of how vivid it was. And so what they created was they were out in nature. There was all these animals that they loved and they had beautiful clothing on. And then as they're walking, they discovered a glacier that had Sprite, really cold Sprite coming down it. And then there was also goldfish crackers that would jump out of the pond that puddled all the glacier sprite at the bottom, but the goldfish crackers were still crisp. So you could grab them when they hopped out of the pond and you could eat them and they were just as delicious. And then there was also pizza surrounding that and there was a strawberry milkshake fountain. And at the very end, the loved one said to them, I'm okay and I love you. And so what I asked this child to do was every night when they woke up from the nightmare to read their ideal dream. And after one week, they told me that all of a sudden, like they were still having the nightmare, but all of a sudden it was veiled. It was almost like they were looking at it through a screen, so they couldn't see it as clearly. And then also they had cotton balls in their ears, so they couldn't really hear the screams either. They were muffled. And then two weeks after that, there was no nightmares at all. So wow. it's quite powerful exercise. Yeah. That's amazing. So what did it feel like for you to hear that? Well, I was just so happy that I had I'd just gone to your workshop <laughs> and learned a little bit about this, but also just so, so thrilled for this child to find some peace and closure with that dream because it was obviously quite distressing to have to wake up to a dream like that every day. How long, how long was he uh, experiencing the dream? How long was the experience of, of having that dream? Yeah, having the nightmares. It was one whole year. Wow. That's great. It's so, it's so sad that, you know, like the child, like anyone really experienced the same dream, same nightmare over and over again for a year straight. Like that, 
breaks it breaks my heart. And you see some of these dreams, and a lot of people may not understand the um, the how distressing these are, but it's it's heartbreaking, you know. And you know, I, I get to read them, which is always a fun little thing to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> I think it's it's beautiful that you were able to relieve one you know one person so quickly of uh, something that was tormenting him so long. He must you know like the child must just like think of you as a sort of you know saving grace. You know like your stock probably just went like tenfold in 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 their mind. Well, I think it, it was them that did all the work. I'm just happy that I was able to be there and walk alongside them doing it. Um, but it definitely inspired me to want to do this kind of work more. So I started to actually put it into the grief group curriculum. And now we teach a lesson about grief dreams, where I read your book, uh, Dreaming of Owl, and then I go into an explanation about what grief dreams are. And then we all make our ideal grief dream. And I actually just did this with a group of um, elementary school counselors. And it was quite powerful, some of the dreams that they came up with. And I got to do my own as well. Wow. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's, it's, you know, for me, it's, um, there's certain things in life that just like really warms my heart. Actually, there's a lot of things, but for, for you to be able to not only go to the workshop, but then help and facilitate the information moving forward to other teenagers, to other people who work in the field and bring into your groups, I think it's just amazing. I want to thank you for that. And because, you know, like that's why I'm doing the work is, is I'd really trying to help people understand that there's, there's a lot to this stuff if we ask the question and we can do so really reduce a lot of suffering that um, people have because of these experiences. So thank you so much for, you know, feeling the importance of the topic because, you know, not everyone does. Thank you for talking about it because it might not have been something that I explored until I went to your workshop. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, the big thing when it comes to these dreams is like if you have them, you're really interested in them. But if you don't, you have no idea they even exist. And so you don't really care um, to even ask those questions. But you know, as you said, like just asking the questions can bring out these experiences a lot more often. So I think it's cool. Um, I, love, I loved hearing that. So thank you for sharing it. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more stories as you work with children in the future. Absolutely. What do you take away? Because I'm guessing you suffered other losses. So can you speak on those losses and maybe something you've taken away from that? Um, that helps you as you move forward through helping other people? Yeah. I try to think about all the times that I enjoyed with those people, especially some of the ones that were taken too early, because it's a lot easier to process loss for me um, in terms of people that have died when they're much older. But the ones that have died when they're early, that's quite hard for me to take and also brings into into question my own mortality and how long I might have. So I think when people talk to me about, wow, that, must, that work must be so hard, what you do, it must be so sad, what I tell people is that, yes, of course, it's sad hearing people's stories, but it's also love stories that I'm hearing. And it's also a reminder for me to live every moment and be appreciative of every moment that I have as well. Yeah, we just had a, a guest on Daniel Rabbi Cohen. And he talks about living a life of legacy, and that's you know it's like you're know, living a life that's purposeful to you, and that you that you recognize your own mortality each day. And I think you know, as you're saying, that's what it brings out in you, and you can approach your your days with uh, with with a certain gratitude. That I think if you don't remember that, it it can be a little more difficult. So that that's amazing, and. And I, have you ever had any dreams, your own grief dreams of uh, anyone who passed away? Well, I haven't actually had a lot of dreams in, in general that I can recall. And definitely haven't had any that I recall about grief dreams. But like I said, with uh, the training that I just did, I got to create what my ideal grief dream would be. And so I'm Ooh. hoping that, that, that I would get that at some point. Did you want to share what you created? <laughs> Sure. And so I had in mind your worksheet and, and trying to involve all the senses as well. So it is uh, in a wooded area because woodland areas mean a lot to me, hence the topic of my books as well. They're called Woodland Wisdom Books. Um, but also it has a rainbow there and it's shine, sunshine, um, but also still snowing because I love the snow as well. So it's got a little bit of mixture and fantasy in there. And then there's a lagoon that smells like lavender because I love the smell of lavender. 
and there's kind of a heart in the middle that represents all the love that would be there. And all of my loved ones are there, including all of my pets that have died as well. And so they're all doing things that they enjoy doing as well, which brings some joy to me. And one extra added feature to it is that all the trees in the woodland area all have Skittles that grow on them because I love Skittles. <laughs> well, that's, that's a pretty creative thing to put into one of these dreams. I like that. I like the Skittles tree. <laughs> <laughs> And so you have, so I got the scene in my mind. Um, so you're picking Skittles off the tree, I guess. Um, so is, are you interacting with any of the, the deceased or are you just, you know, are you just seeing it from afar? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it from afar because I imagine that I'm not there yet, wherever there is. Mm -hmm. um, but it's me kind of looking at all my loved ones. And so my grandma's there doing her square dancing because she loves that. And my Nana, who was sometimes a bit more reserved, and things for my grandpa, uh, grandpa as well. Um, they're there, and my grandpa's dancing because he kind of got into that in his later years. And my Nana is relaxing on a beach chair with a nice drink. And one of my friends, she's actually turned into a, a dragonfly because I imagine that she would have loved to be an animal. She had a big love for animals. And so she's up in the sky with the rainbow in the dragonfly. And then also I have another friend who loves to tell jokes. And so he's around the Lavender Lagoon and he's telling jokes to some people and they're all laughing. And then all my dogs are there playing in the middle as well. That's pretty cool. I, I, like, I like what you created. And it's different. We don't have many people on the podcast who um, are very, um, how can I put this in the right way? imaginative in the sense of what it, a dream that they want to have. I think we had one person who said they want to be in outer space or something, but for the most part, it's very like memory, like, and very simple of like being together. And you're like, I want some Skittles trees. I want this person to be a butterfly. <laughs> and I think, you know, it probably reflects a lot of your work that you do with children. Cause that's how you, you've learned to play a lot and to be part, like you're like part child, I would say, you know, part adult, part child. Um, just because of the way you, just the way you wrote the dream, but probably the way you perceive life. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hear a lot of people tell me again, you know, that work must be so hard, especially dealing with children and grief. And what I say is I get to play. I get mm -hmm. to play and do art and watch others do art and learn from the kids too. They teach me all sorts of arts and crafts that I can do. And it gives me ideas of how I can help support other children as well it's a pretty fun job sometimes and grief is a natural part of life and so it's okay to kind of get more comfortable talking about the grief and once you get over that hard part of the grief then it can be quite enjoyable to get to talk about it and especially in these fun expressive ways yeah it's, it's definitely it's just super cool hearing about that and um, I'm really happy we got to to speak today and you to share so much information and I'm you know really uh, excited about your journey and as you move forward and the the people that you're going to continue to uh, help along their way and, and I hope you realize how meaningful that is and to you know I say like never never give up and continue writing those books because uh, I'm guessing you have a bunch more lined up because how many do you have in total right now? I've got Two are finished. One's coming out uh, hopefully before the summer starts. And then I have another two written and ideas for another 20 on top <laughs> of that. And I'm constantly getting caregivers saying, do you have a book about this? Or what about this subject? I wish there was a book about that. And so because I'm self-publishing, it does cost, cost quite a bit of money to be able to fund this in the first place and working in non-profits. You don't make a ton and it's more about the love of this job that the reason why I'm in it and so unless the books do really well then I can't keep on funding them and so if the uh, books do start to do well then I will continue to write them until as long as I possibly can because I am really enjoying the work and getting to spread this knowledge around. That's amazing. And I, I hope you continue to do it. And, you know, it helps you. It's just a creative way for you to play also on your days off is creating these books and seeing these things come to life. And I'm guessing, you know, like you got to be just super happy about that. So where can people find you 
if you again, I know you mentioned a little bit, could you say it again, just to connect with the audience on where they can find some of your stuff? Yeah, um, they can look for my website. It's www.woodlandwisdombooks.com. And they can also find me on Facebook at Woodland Wisdom Books. And then also on Instagram under Dallas Shirley. Beautiful. So listeners, please check out her website. And if you have Instagram, um, check that out. I know she has a bunch of pictures with um, her cat on there. Is it Spike? Spike, yes. Yeah. So Spike is the one pet that I still have remaining. He's like 20, 21 years old almost. Um, and he's still doing pretty good. I think he's kept alive with love. And so he does self-care posts with me on Sundays because part of the publishing world is that there's not a lot that happens in the middle of creating the book. And well, there's a lot that happens, but not on my end. Um, once I've submitted all the stuff to when it's actually produced. And so I was like, what do I do to keep people hopefully interactive with me um, up until that time? And so I thought, why don't me and Spike post some self-care Sunday with Spike posts every Sunday. Um, so we'll be putting another one out today. That's that's great. Are you taking a selfie right now with uh, with Spike? And uh, as you can post about your your big interview on the Grief Dreams podcast. <laughs> no, he left the room a little while ago. I think he got, he got bored with me. All right. So I just want to say thank you again for coming on, and I look forward to uh, meeting you up, meeting one day when I come back to BC. So hopefully we can meet up then and have a coffee and chat some more and uh, see and hear about the the rest of these ninety nine books you got all planned out. <laughs> That would be lovely. All right. For our stuff, uh, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you want to hear, you want to get details of what's going on with uh, my research and any other talks and stuff coming up, uh, just sign up for the newsletter. You can also see old newsletters on there. Uh, We publish every uh, twice twice a year. And on there are some really interesting dreams that have changed people's lives, which is one of the big reasons why I wanted to do it. And so we have that. And then if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group or check out Instagram or Twitter at Grief Dreams. Also, I should mention, if you live in Kitchener, Ontario, um, we ha- I have a talk coming up, a full day workshop. So it's uh, be six hours with lunch. And so I have five and a half hours of continuing education credits you'll get. And so all the information is on the website. Check that out if you're interested. So as we like to say at the end of all of our podcasts, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.